You're listening to Real Estate Real Fast. Each episode, we discuss all things real estate, whether that's strategies for investors, ways the average homeowner can maximize profits when selling their home, or understanding market trends and more. Real Estate Real Fast is brought to you by ListingSpark, automated software that takes you through the complete home selling process and sells your home faster, safer, and at a fraction of the cost. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. This is uh, episode four of Real Estate Real Fast. I'm your host, Aaron Gistel. Uh, a little bit about me before we get started. I'm the broker and one of the co-founders here at ListingSpark. Uh, we are a technology-driven real estate brokerage. We help home sellers all over the state sell their homes quickly, safely, and save a ton of money in the process. Um, I have been in the real estate business as a broker and a realtor before that since 2005. So what's that, 17, 18 years? Um, here at Listing Spark, we've sold over 6,000 homes. We're approaching $1.5 billion worth of total real estate volume sold. And um, last year alone was a banner year for us. We handled almost 1,500 transactions with sellers. Um, so today I'm actually riding solo. Normally we have a guest on here, but I wanted to just take some time today and talk about the housing market in general. That seems to be the most buzzy topic right now. Are we in a bubble? Is the housing market going to crash? Where are things in relations to our recession? And so I just thought this was a good opportunity for us to just talk shop, talk real estate, talk specifically Texas real estate. So before uh, Listing Spark, uh, my business partner and I had a boutique brokerage here in Austin, Texas that we operated from about 2005, 2006, all the way through the last um, housing bubble that happened in 08, 09. And so luckily we have the benefit of having to, to have gone through that and understood what it takes to survive a, a housing market correction and take some of that information and leverage into that, what we do today. And it's been 14 years since we've had a correction in the housing market. So we have an entire generation that has really only known the real estate market to be this runaway bull market where values have just been nonstop going crazy. And it just never seemed like it was going to come down. Well, inevitably, everything must come down at some point. And typically, we see a recession or a correction in the housing market closer to every like seven to nine years, somewhere in there. So at, at 14 years, a lot will say a lot of people will say that we're long overdue for some sort of a correction. And so we'll, we'll talk a lot about what's going on today. Um, we'll talk a little bit about how things right now are differing from when they were in, in 08. Um, so I, I want to start by just talking about each individual major market throughout Texas and kind of what we're seeing and what's going on there. So we headquarter out of Austin, even though we operate in Austin, DFW, Houston, San Antonio, Corpus, Colleen, Waco, we're, we're in a bunch of the big major markets around Texas, but our headquarters is here in, in Austin. And so we'll start there. So a couple data points that we're seeing here in, in Austin is housing inventory is up a whopping 170.2%. We have 2.9 months supply of inventory right now. So roughly three months supply of inventory. And for those that aren't familiar with that term, essentially what that means, you're going to hear me talk a lot about that today. Um, if we had no new homes hit the market and all we had to sell was what was currently sitting on the market, our month's supply of inventory is how long it would take every single home that is currently on the market right now to sell. And so right now we're at three. Um, a year ago, we were at two weeks. 
So we're talking about a huge increase in the grand scheme of things. And that number can be uh, pretty alarming to a lot of people when they hear that, that it's such a big increase. But a balanced market is really close to like five to six months supply of inventory. So we're still well within a what's considered a seller's market. And a, a big theme around what we're going to talk about today is that even though we've got a lot of things to look at and potentially even be concerned about, it's not all doom and gloom. There's some positivity in the data points and, and we're going to continue to talk about that. But that's that's one right there is, you know, jumping to three months supply of inventory. It's a big jump from where we were, but we have to remember at two weeks supply of inventory, a buyer could not get into a house. Every house that they would go after had 10 offers. They were way over asking. You had to essentially give away the farm to the seller to get to get something out of it. And so we're getting more into, even though we're still in a seller's market, we're starting to see a balancing act between buyers and sellers. And in my opinion, that's a good thing. You know, we need a balanced market. We cannot have things running like a, a freight train that's going out of control, that's completely unsustainable, that's not good for anybody long-term. And so now we're seeing a little bit more of a balancing act, which is great. Um, we're still seeing in Austin year-over-year -year home price growth of 5.5%. Uh, I think that sh actually shocks a lot of people. I think if you, if you did a straw poll and you asked a lot of people, they would have told you they thought home prices have gone down. Um, we have seen a lot of price drops, and we're going to talk about that later, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the home's value has come down. It just means from where they started listing it to ultimately where they sold it, they had to drop their price. But when you look at overall median home price growth, um, it's actually up 5.5% in Austin. Now, in some areas last year, it was increasing at a rate of 20 to 30%. So if you owned a house um, in Travis or Williamson County last year in Prince of Hayes County, in one single year, your home may have appreciated by 30%. That's insane. Um, so now it's at a much more stable and normalized kind of 5.5%. Um, so in August, the median home value in the greater Austin Metropolitan area is 496,000. And again, that's up 5%. Uh, new listings are down 6%. So there are less homes coming onto the market than there were this time last year. And for a lot of reasons, that's actually a good thing. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Home sales have declined 23% in Austin. That's a huge number. That's a, that's a big, big number. So a lot less homes are selling right now. Um, which is causing inventory to go up. Talked about 170%. Average days on market has now climbed to over 30 days. So it's that's the first time since 2018 that we've seen that happen. That feels like an eternity to sellers that would list their house on a Thursday and have 10 offers by a Saturday. Um, so 30 days, I can tell you, it feels like an absolute eternity, but in the grand scheme of things, 30 days is still relatively low. We, we talked about in a balanced market, six months of inventory. You know, it, we saw before the last market crash from 05 to 08, you know, 90 days on market was not that big of a deal. And so um, we're still very low in the grand scheme of things. Um, I was looking up some research and I, and I follow Mark Sprague. If you don't know him, he's a great follow. He's a pretty prolific uh, real estate economist here in Austin. He talks about Austin and just, all over Texas as well. So he uh, he recently gave a market update and he's got some really great info here and I'm gonna read a few excerpts from it. So Austin, along with the other Texas metropolitan areas may continue to feel the effects of the previous unsustainable housing market 
due to the lack of inventory. We're just now getting up to three months of housing inventory, which is still short of the six to six and a half months of inventory needed to be considered a healthy market. With the record number of corporate companies within the past year alone, Austin's current trajectory does not support the number of jobs and people coming to Central Texas in the next five years. The cost of developing and building homes in Austin also continues to escalate with little to no relief, which has caused sales to slow. So there's a lot to unpack there. So um, again, we're still in a healthy place. We have tons of jobs moving to Austin at a record number. And so what Mark is saying is that based on the rate in which people are still moving here in five years, we're not going to have a, we're not going to be able to support that much growth. Um, so from simple economic terms, our demand is still higher than what our supply is going to be able to accommodate. That's a good thing. If, if you're in a, if you're going into a recession to know that you're going to have this surge of demand, that's going to continue. That is going to help our housing market in 2008. Austin and, and a lot of parts of Texas came out relatively unscathed. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I think we have a chance of, of faring pretty well here as well. Um, going into DFW, active listings are up 52.8% while closed sales are down 12.4%. Month supply of inventory, 2.6. Average days on market, 31 days. So across the 30-day mark. And median home values in DFW are up 11.3%. So yes, more inventory. Sales are down, but home values are still up. Um, so there's some positivity to take away there. Houston, home sales are down almost 17%. That's the lowest one-month sales volume change since February of 2020, right before the pandemic. So median home values jumped 10.8% to 342000 and active listings are up 31%. So a 31% increase in inventory is a lot. Um, month supply of inventory is at 2.5, similar to DFW. It was 1.7 this time last year. So that's a pretty sizable jump. Pending sales are also down 11%. San Antonio, home sales are down 13%. Median price is up 14%. That's a big jump. Days on market is now over 30 days. Active listings also up 30%, pending sales down 11%. So when we unpack Austin, DFW, Houston, San Antonio, it's kind of wild how similar every market is behaving. Um, the major markets around Texas were some of the strongest housing markets in the country for the last decade. And so it, it's, not, um, it's not too crazy that they're all seeing similar numbers and similar data points because they've all been so strong lately. So everybody's feeling the effects of what's going on right now. But again, it's still positive to see that home values are still, have still climbed this year. Nationally, active listings are up 26.9%. So what we're seeing in Texas is pretty much what we're seeing nationwide. And the median list price grew 13.9% nationally. So I, I don't think a lot of people expected to see that number of, of the median price growth. Now, again, that's list price. That might not ultimately be the sales price, but that's still a good indication where, you know, we, we haven't seen this cratering of home values or we haven't seen that at least just yet. Newly, newly listed homes have declined by 10% nationally. So the amount of new homes hitting the market is down 10%. Um, 
So let's talk about my take on this. Um, luckily here at Listing Spark, because we handle such a high volume of listings, we're able to track a lot of great data week by week and month by month. And so I we look at this religiously. We 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 go through this data on a weekly basis. We make sure we're understanding the trends so we can get in front of things and understand what's happening. And I love to be able to share that with uh, not only our customers, but anybody who wants to know and understand a little bit more about the real estate industry. So it's pretty evident the market has cooled down a lot quicker than a lot of people expected. Um, but like I mentioned before, that doesn't mean that the values have cratered. So the data shows that homes are still worth more than they were last year. Uh, we can't guarantee that that won't change. I, I think a lot of people will tell you that will change and that everybody should expect a housing bubble or a recession that's going to pull the housing market down and values um, will eventually fall. I think it's very possible and even likely that that's going to happen, but it just hasn't happened yet. Um, so we still do have a lot of reasons to be optimistic, and we're going to talk a little bit more of that about how we go on. So let's first now talk about rates. So uh, obviously mortgage rates are impacting the housing market in a massive way because rates have skyrocketed compared to they were, where they were this time last year. So let's Let's kind of just unpack some of the math and how that affects people. So in September, rates actually went above 7% for the first time since January 2002. Um, so, I mean, that's 20 years. So they were 3.5% a year ago. Some people were getting even in the twos a year ago. So if you were buying a $500,000 house a year ago at 3.5%, and you're buying that same $500,000 house now at 7%, the difference in your monthly payment is over $1,000 a month. Um, that's a lot. That's a, that's a huge amount of money when you're just looking at what the average household spends. If you then pile on top of that car payments and credit cards and student loans and everything else, an additional $1,000 a month into your monthly expenses is a lot. Um, so... Uh, Basically, what that means is a, a buyer that was looking to buy a $500,000 house at 3.5%, if they wanted to basically keep what that same monthly payment was, but now their interest rate is 7%, they would have to buy a home closer to $375,000. Um, so obviously, that's a huge difference, $125,000 plus. Um, a lot of people are speculating that that means the market is now going to fall by that amount. So from 500,000 all the way down to 375,000, um, 25 to 30% decrease in values. I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to that theory. And, and here's why. Uh, I do think values can fall and, and, and in a lot of areas, values will fall and already have fallen. Those numbers that I was talking about earlier are averages. So we're already seeing areas where values are coming down. Um, but what ends up happening a lot of times is that $500,000 house doesn't just become worth three hundred seventy-five dollars or 400000 The buyer of that $500,000 house starts looking at a $400,000 house or a $450,000. They start to curb where they're spending and they start to loosen up a little bit on what they're looking for. They start to sacrifice on their wish list. So maybe they don't get as big of a house. Maybe they don't get it in the same neighborhood or the same school zone or but it doesn't automatically just mean that $500,000 house is going to be worth 
375,000. That's just not how it works. So because of this, when we see buyers start to move down a rung in price points, we can actually see houses at the bottom or even below the median home value in the area start to surge in price. So, you know, we might have a lot of times values fall from the top down and the bottom can actually still surge. So if you own a home or you're selling a home and you're in kind of that app or underneath the median home value in your area, you could actually continue to see a nice little spike in your home's value. It's possible. Um, so that is, that's the way that I, I tend to look at what's going to happen is we're going to more see buyers kind of change what they can buy and, and what they're looking for rather than just automatically expect for houses to just fall 30% in their value. So, um, what is going to help us pull out of this housing market correction or this bubble that we're supposedly in right now? So rates are going to be a big deal. Affordability has been a massive problem in Texas, even when rates were historically low. So when a buyer could go out and get a 2.9 or a 3 or a 3.5% interest rate, affordability was still a massive problem because the, the median um, home value had spiked so much in 2021. So now you take rates shooting through the roof and affordability is, is now a, a massively compounding problem. So the Fed's been adamant about staying aggressive to curb inflation, force a recession uh, as a means to succeed. So if you talk to any expert in the banking and the lending world right now, most are going to tell you that rates are going to continue to spike or you know, some people have theorized that we're actually peaking right now. So rates are now under 7%. They were, in, they were at 7% in September. Now, I think as of today, they're about 6.8, 6.82. Um, but um, we think at some point, once obviously inflation gets under control, they're going to ease up on rates and we're going to see rates come down again. When that happens and we start seeing improvement there on affordability, you're going to see a lot of buyers and sellers start jumping off the fence and getting back into the market because they're going to get more, they're going to have a higher level of confidence in the housing market. Um, if you've been in the business long enough in real estate, you've gonna you've heard the term, you marry the house, you date the rate. I, I hear that get thrown around all the time. Um, I think in a lot of circumstances, that's actually a very dangerous comment because I think it can I, I think it can be used very flippantly sometimes. And it can make buyers feel like they're being talked into a decision that maybe they shouldn't. Um, so my disclaimer is you should never buy a house you can't afford, point blank, period. Um, so you should all, we cannot guarantee rates will come down or come down as fast as we might think they will. So you should never buy something you can't afford. But if you look at historically, we are more than likely going to see rates fall at some point over the next 12, 24, 36 months, it's likely going to happen. If you look at the, if, if you look at the historic trends, look at last year alone in 2021, over 25% of homeowners refinance their house in 2021. So when rates come down, people refinance. It just happens. Um, so I, I don't love that term, but it's not, it's not that far off. If you find the perfect house right now, it fits within your budget right now, there is a very good chance that in the future, you will be able to refinance and get a better rate and make that even more affordable to you uh, long-term. So let's talk a little bit now what are we seeing in the market right now? What's happening right now? So we're seeing a pullback on both sides. So the data is telling us that we're seeing less homes go under contract as pending sales, and we're seeing less new homes hit the market. So that means less buyers are buying, less sellers are deciding to sell. So we're seeing a pullback on both ends. 
that's actually keeping inventory lower than I think it could be. If you look back in 2008, we had this absolutely massive amount of inventory. There were so many homes on the market. And then the bubble burst. The bubble burst last time because we had crazy lending. Anybody could get a house if they wanted it. Stated income, ninja loans, arms. It was crazy. It was the Wild West. So you had tons and tons and tons of people buying houses that they shouldn't have. We had tons of people trying to sell their house with little to no equity because we weren't seeing homes appreciating the way they were now. And that was just a recipe for disaster. It was a tidal wave of foreclosures. And we just aren't seeing that right now. So what we're seeing is homeowners and builders alike are pulling back and they're just saying, hey, now's not the time to sell. So I'm going to sit on the sidelines. And that's actually keeping inventory a little bit lower than it was um, last time we had a, a housing correction. So um, another reason is sellers don't want to give up their historically low rates. So if I'm sitting on a house and I have a 3% interest rate and I'm going to go get out and get in the buyer's pool and I'm going to trade that in for a 7% interest rate, that's a tough pill to swallow. So we're actually seeing a lot of sellers that would have been both buyers and sellers are now just buyers because now they're renting out their house and they're keeping it. They're taking advantage of that, that interest rate they have and they're kind of holding on to it. And they might then go buy, but they're not selling. So that's keeping, again, keeping inventory down. So that is kind of helping us stay in a seller's market. Um, and then buyers, a lot of buyers are concerned that values are going to continue to fall. So another term we hear, you hear it in the stock market all the time, housing is no different. You don't want to be the one to catch a falling knife. And so what that means, the best way to describe that is, I don't want to be a buyer and buy a house right now. And then six months from now, it's worth 10% less or 15% less. Who would want that? Nobody. Um, but the reality of it is we look at it and a, and a good analogy that I like to use with anybody, find me one person who bought a house in 2007, right before the bubble burst back then. And then in 2010 or 2011, didn't make money on their house. Um, it, it's about the long run and it's about thinking long-term. So in the real estate, you might get caught in a short-term blip in the market and your home could go down in value. But as long as you're holding onto it long enough, you're usually gonna withstand market turbulence and values going up and down and things like that. So do I recommend a buyer buy a home who might be selling in 2023? No, I don't. Unless you're a flipper, unless you're an investor, unless you're a builder, and you're calculating that into the equation, meaning I'm buying this way under market, and even if values come down again a little bit, I've got enough room in it to still sell it and make a profit. Um, that's a whole different ballgame. That's a whole different business. But if I'm just your average homeowner, and I think I'm going to hold on to this house for at least three to five years, if not seven to 10 years, you're probably going to be fine. You know, history will show you're probably going to be fine. Even if even if we have a housing correction that lasts two years, uh, you're still going to be able to withstand that. You'll probably be fine. So if you think you're going to be in and out within a year, I'd probably rent. Um, and a lot of people are actually banking on that. We're seeing more and more rentals. You're seeing there's a reason why institutional money is looking at real estate as an asset class, as heavy as they are. It's a curb against inflation because they know housing is always going to be a commodity. Everybody always needs somewhere to live. So what are they doing? They're forwarding all these houses they're buying and they're keeping them and they're keeping them as rental properties because somebody's always got to have a place to live. So there's always going to be a demand. You can arguably say 
with the amount of volume of homes that institutional investors scooped up last year, the amount of homes that were really available to retail home buyers, like people that were owner-occupied home buyers, was actually even lower than the stats show on the sales last year. So I do still think real estate is going to be a safe investment long-term. I do still think there's many reasons why right now is still a good time to buy, especially if you're able to find your dream home. And I still think there's a lot of reasons to believe that it's a better option than renting. Um, all right. Now let's talk a little bit about, about the stock market. So um, the stock market, and the real estate market don't correlate directly, but there are reasons why you put those two together and look at both. So the Dow's down 6,000 points from the beginning of the year, which was a high point. So to put that in perspective, essentially that's the lowest point since March, 2020. So two years of market gains in the Dow have been wiped out. Uh, NASDAQ's down about 30% from the beginning of the year. S&P's down about 25%. Um, here's how that correlates to the housing market. People look at their overall net worth. They look at their, fin their financial healthiness and all of their assets. And when their 401k or their mutual funds or whatever they have invested in the stock market comes down, their confidence as a buyer might drop. Now, whether or not they're using those funds for buying a house or not, it's affecting their psyche. It's affecting how they're looking at their overall financial health. And some people borrow against investment vehicles. They borrow against their 401k. They borrow against their Roth IRA. They, there's, there's some correlation between the stock market and housing. So stock market's down. Overall confidence is going to go down. So that's having an effect too. Um, what else are we seeing in the housing market right now? Multiple offer situations are few and far between. Um, areas are seeing much higher volume of inventory. Sellers are having to wait a lot longer than they were to receive an offer. And it's a lot longer than they've grown accustomed to. So if somebody sold a house within the last two to five years, they're used to a feeding frenzy of buyers. And now they're just having to wait. And it's excruciating. And it's, in a, it's painful. We talk to them every day. And two weeks feels like two months to people right now. Because again, we're coming out of this crazy bull run of real estate. But people start they have to get patient. They have to understand it's a process. They have to start curbing expectations and understanding the, the market that we're in. They have to understand that dropping your price is okay. You're not the only one doing it. I looked yesterday in the major markets in Texas in the last seven days in Austin, 2,159 homes dropped their price. In DFW, 4,132 properties dropped their price in the last seven days. Houston, 3,092 people dropped their price. San Antonio, 2,054. It's okay to drop your price. Everybody's doing it. That's just what's going on right now. Now, if you're going to ask me, I you should not be pricing your home too high and chasing down the market. You should be getting ahead of the market. And we're going to talk a little bit more about strategies there in a minute, but it is clearly getting a little bit more challenging to sell a home, which is something that we just haven't been used to seeing in forever. So, um, but the data, again, it's still not all doom and gloom. 30 days on market is not that big of a deal. 60 days on market really is not that big of a deal, guys, in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, so when we talk about the housing market and a recession, there are correlations. A lot of times the housing market is a leading indicator, not a lagging indicator. So what I mean by that is housing is a leading indicator to future effects of a recession. So look at everybody that's involved in real estate. So when housing starts to come down, what happens to realtors, lenders, title companies, 
insurance providers, builders, inspectors, plumbers, electricians, appraisers, the lumber industry. So we're just now starting to feel the effects of the correlation with the housing market and the economy. You look at lenders, they're laying off employees in mass. Some are shutting down completely. Other industries have gone from working at a pace that they just couldn't keep up with. A contractor's two months out from being able to do a job. Now they're scrambling to try to find work. Um, these, ec these economic effects are just beginning to show themselves and we're not out of the woods there yet. So to put it in perspective, last year, refinancing for many lenders made up 60 to 80% of their total business that year. Every one of those refinances not only had to go through a lender, they had to go through a title company. They had to have an appraiser. A lot of times they had to get surveyed. So there's a lot of people, they had to get insurance. There's all those kind of things tied to that. So this year, refinances dropped by 90%. There are 10% of homes are getting refinanced this year compared to where they were last year. That's a massive difference. Okay, let's talk a little bit about advice for sellers now trying to sell their home in a rapidly changing market. Days on market is not nearly as big of a deal as it used to be, all right? You have to be patient. Things are just going to take a little more time. If you know you need to be out, list your home sooner than you need to move. You do not wanna be a bind. You wanna give yourself time. You wanna give yourself adequate time. Days on market, by the way, means days for you to get a contract, not days for you to close. So 30 or 40 days on market means from list to close, you're more at 70 or 80 days because it takes a buyer about 30 to 40 days to get their financing together. So you need to be, cal you need to be calculating that into your timeline and the equation that you're looking at on how soon you need to be out of your house. You also need to look at your very localized market because that's an average for an entire metropolitan area. You could be in an area where your days on market average is already at 60 or 50. So you need to keep a close eye on the market around you and what you're competing with. So when you're selling a house, you need to understand in your area what's happening, where are homes selling, what's their closed price in relation to their list price. That's the sales price to list price ratio. We want you to look at like kind listings that are active. Those are your competition. So what I mean by like kind is, if I have a one-story home that's 2,000 square feet in my neighborhood that is upgraded throughout, that's my competition. It's homes that are similar to that. Other one stories, you know, 17 to 2,300 square feet that are upgraded. I'm looking at how many of those are currently on the market. Because what that means is every buyer that is looking at my house is looking at all those other houses. And they've got choices. And they've got options. And so there was a time where you might have been the only house on the market that's as far as being similar to yours in your neighborhood. So demand was probably gonna be completely through the roof and you can expect a quick sale. If you have nine other houses in your neighborhood that are really similar to yours, that buyer is probably gonna look at nine out of nine of those or six out of nine of those. So those are your competition. It's gonna take you longer. Um, you wanna also just make sure that you're understanding what's going on with the pendings. So if I'm selling a house, I wanna know what's going under contract, what's showing up as pending. Why is that house pending? Was it priced lower than me? Is it on a better lot location? What factors went into that home getting under contract sooner? Analyze that and use that information to, to your advantage. And then obviously you wanna look at the sales. Again, close price to list price ratios. Other things sellers can do right now is you can offer incentives to buyers and even potentially their agents. 
So look what's happening with builders right now. So one, two years ago, builders were completely slashing commissions for agents. You were seeing builders that historically offered a 3% commission, maybe even a bonus. We're now offering 1% or even no realtor commission at all. They were canceling contracts before closing because they could sell it to a different buyer at a higher price. It was crazy. That all has changed. Builders, again, are a leading indicator of what's going on too. So we're already seeing builders now offering a 3% and a massive bonus. They're offering huge incentives for the design studio, free upgrades, help with closing costs, things like that. Builders are doing whatever they can to sell their inventory right now. Um, the resale market can do the same thing. You can offer a bonus to a buyer's agent to bring you a buyer. You can offer a credit to go towards the buyer's closing costs. There's all kinds of things you can do to in incentivize both buyers and their agents. Um, price drops are not only good to help you sell your price and get within the price range you should be, it's also incredible for your visibility. And so what I mean by that is every time you do a price drop, you've got this pool of buyers that has a safe search set up or the realtor has a safe search set up. And every time you do a price drop, an email hits that buyer's inbox and says, this house just did a price improvement or a price drop. So they're constantly seeing your listing. And I know you're worried they're gonna think you're desperate, but look at those numbers that I just showed you. 2,000 in a week in Austin, 4,000 in DFW. Everybody's doing it. It's okay. Uh, it's helping to give you some more visibility. And lastly, you need to take every single offer you have very seriously. Even if it seems insulting, this is the buyer's first time in a long time to where they can come in and they can start calling the shots. And so you got a lot of buyers that are gonna be very speculative. They're scared. They don't know what's gonna happen. They're worried prices are gonna continue to come down. So they wanna find a deal. But that's a buyer that's in the market right now that wants to buy your house. You need to take that offer seriously. You need to negotiate hard and you need to take, treat everything like it's business, it's not personal. Um, as we start to get it in the slower season, expect days on market to climb even more. So we're not just com competing with economic factors. We also have seasonality to deal with. We know the market starts to slow down November, December, January, and a lot of people innately just pull their home off the market. So look at the market conditions, see where your inventory is at. It might actually be a better idea for you to stay on the market in the winter if your inventory is down. Remember what we talked about earlier with, with Sprague. There's jobs moving here. People still have to buy. They got relocated here. Their family, they have to get their kids in schools. There's still buyers out there. So just because globally everybody says, take your house off the market in the winter, that's a slow season. That's not always true, especially in Texas markets that are still seeing a lot of growth. Okay. Advice for buyers. Uh, we talked about it earlier. Real estate is one of the safest long-term assets that exists. So as long as you're looking for an investment that's going to be a little bit more long-term, don't be scared to jump out, especially if you can find a great deal. As long as you can afford it and everything fits within your budget, it's still a good time to buy a home. Um, I gave the analogy earlier. Anybody that bought in 2007, if you look at 2010 or later, they did perfectly fine on their house. If you're a buyer, go ahead and make a little offer. That seller is begging for an offer in a lot of these houses. Make it. The worst that can happen is they can say no. Um, we used to have this thing where buyers were scared to just make an offer because they're like, oh, the seller's going to be insulted. They're not going to respond. They're not going to make the offer. What, what is the worst thing that can happen? I can guarantee you, we have a lot of sellers right now that are just going, I don't understand why people don't just make me an offer. So if you're a buyer, go ahead and pull the trigger, make that offer. 
All right. Understand if you're a buyer, what's happening to help ease rates right now. So we work with a lot of lenders right now and feel free to comment. I can, I can refer you to a couple of lenders. Lenders are offering really creative ways to finance. They're offering what are called 2-1 buy-downs right now, which means you pay a lot higher closing costs. But what a 2-1 buy-down means is um, you're going to pay points up front. And let's say rates are at 6.5%. For the first year, they're going to be two points below that. So it's not going to be 6.5%. It's going to be 4.5%. And then in year, it's 2-1 because the next year it's going to be one point less. So it's going to be 5.5%. Then it's going to go to that 6.5%. The idea is you can refinance at some point before it goes all the way back up to that six and a half percent. Now, if you're going to stay in that rate, it's expensive. It costs points, costs closing costs. So what's a way for you to get that done? Ask the seller to pay for those. Have, have the seller give you a credit that goes towards your closing costs, which covers that buy down. I tell you what, there's a lot of sellers are going to get very creative on how to sell their house. So don't be afraid to ask. Um, ultimately again, remember there's gonna, there's more than likely going to be a chance to refinance in the future. So as long as you can focus on affordability now, make sure you're getting in a monthly payment that's palatable for you right now. Don't sacrifice too much on your monthlies or get yourself in a tight spot. You don't want to be the short seller. You don't want to be the foreclosure if you can avoid it. Um, so that's our advice for buyers and sellers. And I think kind of closing statements and what I want to do before we get off, if anybody has any questions, you can start typing them in. We're going to go through and I will answer your questions. We'll roll with a, a little Q&A. But my advice to everybody out there is, you know, stay informed. Don't panic. Understand that what is happening in the market right now is a natural, now long overdue cycle. It happens. It's happened for as long as we have recorded history of data in the housing market. And so you can't panic. You have to stay informed and you have to stay focused on what your goals are and your end results are. And if you're going to be a homeowner and you're going to make this investment in yourself, which by the way, for a lot of people, their home is the number one way for them accumulating long-term wealth. You need to be informed. You should understand what it's going to take to be effective and successful selling your home. You should understand what your different options are and you need to find good people and surround yourself with good information and good data so you can make calculated decisions. Um, so if we have anybody that has any questions, feel free to start um, typing away and I'll answer them as they come in. Ellen, I love your comment. I thought I was the only one who doesn't like saying, marry the house, date the rate. It's cheesy as hell. We hear it all the time. Uh, I, I hate it too, but you know, sometimes it's true. We're going to stay on a little bit longer. If anybody else has any questions, feel free to type away. By the way, um, you're going to get a copy of this podcast if you subscribe. So if you weren't, um, if you joined late, you missed the beginning, or you want to go back and listen, feel free to um, check your email. You'll get a copy of it. Uh, okay, Lisa, what are you seeing with buyers and pulling out of contracts at the last minute? That's a good question. Um, we're living it right now. I mean, I have, um, I have one deal with an investor. They, um, the buyer told us the whole way through, it's a slam dunk. It's no big deal. We got everything covered. We were supposed to close last week. All of a sudden their lender couldn't get the deal done. They needed the seller to give more money as a credit to the buyer in order to get the deal done. It's happening. Um, buyers are scared right now. Again, they're, they're worried about catching that falling knife. And so they contracted a house 30, 40 days ago. 
They're watching too much of the news. They're listening to too much of their friends. They're worried that they're overpaying for a house that's going to come down in value. And so it's, a, it's things that you just have to factor into the equation. I think what you want to be able to do is you want to make sure that you're dealing with a really well-qualified buyer. So don't be afraid to talk to their lender. Don't be afraid to really focus on making sure that they're committed to buying the house. I mean, most of the time, if a buyer is going to back out, they're going to back out during their option period or their inspection period. So I, I would say, Lisa, we're not seeing it nearly as much at the 11th hour right before closing. We're seeing it more within the first week, like they get under contract and they get cold feet and they back out. Because obviously if they back out right before closing, chances are they're going to lose their earnest money, which is you know, a good chunk of coin, three to 5,000 bucks on average. So um, usually it's going to be more towards the beginning than more towards the end. But great question. All right. Anybody else, feel free to type away. And if you think of a question and you're watching this after the fact, feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can reach out to us at info at listingspark.com. You can go to our website. We have a chat feature there. You can get a hold of us there. Um, you can find me on social media, find me on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm old, I'm an old man, so I'm not as active on Instagram, but I, I check it enough if you want to find me there. Uh, but if you think of anything, love talking shop about real estate. We've got a great team who does a lot of volume, so they'd be happy to help. Um, Enrique, can you see this on YouTube later? Absolutely. Yes, this will be, it's, it's live on YouTube now and it will be posted there as well. So you can watch this full video on YouTube as well. Thanks for joining us, by the way. Appreciate all of y'all being here. It's kind of strange talking to myself. Normally we have, we have some great guests and um, probably the next one we'll have another guest on. We've, we've had uh, private hard money lenders. We've had inspectors on. Um, and so we try to bring on somebody that's always going to be real estate related to come on here and talk. Um, okay, Lisa, we're seeing buyers delay and fight for their earnest money and hold up putting the listing back on the market. It stinks. It does. Yeah, it does. So one way that we have found success, um, okay, I'm going to give a first disclaimer. I'm not an attorney. This is not legal advice. Nothing I say should be construed as legal advice. But a lot of times when a buyer asks for an extension, you know, they'll want to put up additional earnest money. Where that becomes risky is the title company holds that earnest money and they can fight you for it. They have to sign a release. And so what we have seen success with is that in order to give extensions, the seller is charging non-refundable penalties that go directly to them or earnest money is released to the seller before they will give the extension just so they don't have to fight for that earnest money later on. Um, I will say this, you want to be careful being too strong. You don't want to be, you don't want to push a buyer away. So you don't want to be so aggressive that it kind of pushes them off the deal completely, but you want to look at it and explain to them why you're doing it and say, look, I want to give, I want to give you extra time. I want to make this deal work, but I can't continue to push the closing date out without making sure that I have something to make sure that my costs are taken care of. So I need you to release the earnest money. I need you to give us this non-refundable refundable fee in order to cover my carrying costs to extend the closing. And so presented in the right way, we find it really effective. So that's a good way to... Um, get some funds and and not have the buyers kind of tie everything up for you later. All right. Stay on just a minute longer. See if anybody's got anything else. All right. 
Chuck, so we got, what are a few questions a seller can ask agents they are considering working with to vet their experience? Uh, great question. Okay. So, um, you know, right now we're, you know, we're probably going to see kind of the great purge of the industry. Things are getting really hard. Listings are down, sales are down. And so what a lot of people don't realize is that there is a, there can be a very big gap between agents, some one agent's experience and the next. And so, you know, you're working with somebody, whether they're handling your purchase or handling the sale, which is probably going to be the single largest investment that you've made to this point in your life. But you'd be amazed how many people don't ask any questions at all. Questions like, how long have you been in the business? How many houses do you sell a month or a year? What are some of the things that make your services uh, beneficial to me? What are your fees? What are, you know? So I think, Chuck, just asking questions in general is a good idea. But I think experience is a big one. So keep in mind, and I'm not trying to, um, I'm not trying to bash new agents, um, but you have to remember new agents have not gone through a housing correction. You have some that have been fighting through COVID and that makes them complete rock stars. And I, I, I love everybody that's out there in the real estate world that's grinding to work for their clients. But you got to remember is like, we're going to have a, a large volume of agents that haven't gone through this. So what you want to make sure is, do they have the right mentors? Do they have the right team behind them? So, you know, I have agents that haven't gone through a housing bubble or recession, but they have me to lean on. So they can leverage me and my experience and the rest of my team here uh, to be part of their team. And so they can, they can leverage that into their own experience. And if they don't know something, they have a great support system that they can go ask and find out. So I think just making sure if you're working with an agent, Understand what are they bringing to the table? What's their team bringing to the table? Are they going to be able to be the right person to, to be successful? And I think asking them specifically, what are you going to do to make me successful is a very important question that really doesn't get asked very often. It's a great question. Man. All right. Well, guys, I think that's going to about wrap us up. We're at about 45 minutes. Thanks so much for joining us. So, guys, we go live. We try to do these on Wednesdays. We can't always do every Wednesday, but we try to do every other Wednesday or so. Um, stay tuned in. If you subscribe to this one, you'll get notifications about the next one. Um, we're covering all kinds of different topics. If you have things that you want to talk about, feel free to leave comments, whether that's on, you know, you'll see this on the live feed on LinkedIn or YouTube or Facebook comment, give us ideas, things that we can talk about. You know, we want to provide relative, uh, relevant content to you guys in the real estate world. And so again, thanks for joining us on real estate real fast brought to you by listing spark. Uh, again, I'm Aaron Gistel and I'm looking forward to connecting with you and hopefully we'll have the opportunity to work with you in the future. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of real estate real fast. If you're a homeowner or real estate investor, you should go check us out at listingspark.com. You can find tips for improving and selling your house, comparing properties, listing your home on the MLS, and even sign up for the live show of Real Estate Real Fast. We typically go live on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central. Go check us out at listingspark.com.